Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by casting director Jeremy Corden. Jeremy has been casting both Indian studio projects for years. His desire to find and work with up-and-coming actors has made Jeremy a standout in his own right. He's famously been quoted, Without smart, professional, and talented actors, where would I be as a casting director? Jeremy's an actor's casting director. He loves actors, loves the rehearsal process, pre-reads. He regards actors in the highest light. I don't know an actor around that wouldn't jump at the chance to work in Jeremy's room or on one of Jeremy's projects. Today we chat about the future of casting, what happens after you leave that best audition of your life, the future of casting, and how Jeremy's been staying busy collaborating with his creative community in quarantine. Please join me in welcoming the incredibly talented Jeremy Gordon to the show. Hey Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame. My pleasure, thanks for having me. Can you start us off with your journey into casting, please? Yes, uh, casting, um, I didn't take the normal route. Uh, I, I didn't start as an assistant or as, as an associate. Uh, I started a production company with my, at the time, best friend, Joe Dane, who was a line producer for Full Moon Features, and they make campy horror films. Uh, and because he was a line producer and I was a teacher, logic says, start a production company. Why not? Uh, I did study acting in college, but I didn't want to be an actor once I got to LA. And we were lucky enough to get a five picture deal with Full Moon Features right off the bat because of Joe's relationship. Okay. And of course, there needs to be a casting director. So they <laughs> said, well, that's your job. You're going to be the casting director. Uh, you know, I'm saying I have no idea what that means. I don't know what's a breakdown I don't know I don't know any of this and they're like well figure it out because we have our jobs to do so <laughs> good luck and it was a great way to learn and these were thankfully low budget non-union horror films so I, I made plenty of mistakes and um, I didn't piss off CAA and everybody uh, it, it was just a great way to learn I learned a lot from the actors that came in to audition and uh, I did that for about two years full-time while I was teaching first grade and seventh grade nights and weekends were casting and producing and then at some point I had to make a decision to stop teaching and cast full-time that's right well you are our first hyphenate of actor turned teacher turned casting <laughs> director now I'm I live in the comedy space so I feel like all errors have like an element of humor to them um in those early years of casting while still learning what you were doing or first year, any like really hilarious flub or like just a mistake looking back and be like, wow, I did that. Oh gosh, probably. Um, I, I think this was like 2003. So I honestly don't remember, but sure. I mean, I didn't even know where to get an audition space or what a breakdown was or how to get these actors in or, you know, Thankfully, I knew actors, so I would ask, literally calling and asking, what, what do I have to do to get them in the room or, or give them to prepare? Or So it was those, I'm sure I made so many amateur mistakes that agents were like, what, who is this? What's going on here with this project? But, you know, Full Moon has a reputation, so people knew their films, and yeah. I'm sure I embarrassed the heck out of myself, but I don't care, so it was great. Hey, you didn't put your breakdowns on Craigslist, so. No, I definitely did not. I, I, I don't even know what no. I used back then. <laughs> I'm not sure. Hopefully it was still <laughs> actress access. Now, at What's My Frame, we're really, really big on the importance 
a relationship building versus just networking. It's not casting the widest net. It's like truly getting to know people. Um, can you share anything that you've seen actors and creatives do in the quarantine or even just besides quarantine that have you, you've seen like positives, the way that they're like trying to connect to you or other casting directors offices you've been a part of? Yeah, uh, I think that right now social media is, I, I would garner to say the only way that we can network or stay in touch with people. Yeah. Uh, and I have, I don't usually go back and forth on social media or have, you know, big long dialogues with actors that I don't know, but I have found myself opening up to that because that's yeah. the only way for them and it's, it benefits me as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'm seeing a lot of actors really upping their social media games and it is so important outside of COVID. It's important. It's, it's in TV contracts, it's in film contracts, but now this is the way. And I've been talking to some amazing actors on Instagram and, or, or, or Twitter and it's just meeting people and talking to them and learning things about them or the connections that you have, the 45 mutual friends you didn't know, or it's, it's actually really been nice. Uh, yeah. And my favorite ones are the ones where the actor's not asking for something. When you just build this genuine relationship over time and sometimes it's years before yeah. something pops up but when the actors ask for something right away it's it's such a turn off yeah absolutely i think it's so much better to get to know the person and also when you're auditioning treated as you're a guest in their home yeah it's not it's not you're just all going to like this store where everybody's just equal. Like, no, you're, you're a guest, like show, show that respect. I actually wanted to talk about social media and see yeah. how you feel that that has influenced or maybe it hasn't influenced um, casting in the past for you. Oh yeah, it definitely has. I mean, mm. even so far back as Think Like a Man, the first one, again, that I cast with Kim Harden yeah. uh, for SUNY. I don't know how many years ago that was, but many. Uh, there was one of the leads and it was down to this actress or this actress and they were both great and they both would do the role perfectly and Sony said let's look at their social media and this actress had 200,000 Twitter followers and this one had 800,000. That's a huge difference that's more magazine covers and interviews and seats and audience and the 800,000 won out in that instance, that was the deciding factor. And we've come a long way since then and social media has only become more and more important. Yeah. It makes logical sense. Look, we don't, as casting directors, we don't cast by social media followers. Yeah. We don't say you have to have X amount to even come in or, you know, but producers and networks and studios want that. Uh, and sometimes there are roles specifically for people with a big following the influencers yeah but even on a small indie film 60 followers or 3,000 followers for your film's lead is going to mean something to Tribeca or to Outfast or whatever the festival is it's it's yeah. hugely important how do you feel or do you have any advice for actors on how to make their social media more professional or also just a positive because I've heard from commercial casting directors you know especially now people are very um sensitive and conscious about people's voices and what they are expressing on their social media associated with a brand? It's a difficult question because it's, it will be different for each person. I think you make an individual choice 
mm-hmm. being on social media. I think all actors have to be on social media. I really don't see that as the choice. But yeah. what you put on social media, your social media voice, I call it, that's totally individual. And I had people that disagree with me. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's pre people, colleagues, professionals that don't like what I have to say or the way I say it. So I say to actors, you have to find your voice yeah. and what's comfortable to you, just like you would in person, mm-hmm. and put on social media what you're comfortable with and think about the way you're doing it. Sometimes it's not what you say, but the way you're saying it, and acknowledge that there's consequences for it, as we see daily with celebrities saying or doing the wrong thing on social media. Yes. But you can share your views on things that have nothing to do with the entertainment industry and be opinionated about it and just do it in a way that's not overtly offensive. And that's fine. You know, when, when we look at someone's profile, mm-hmm. you can pretty easily tell if this is a person sharing some opinions or someone that we're going to have an issue with. And I have had that with actors before that they've had to revamp their Instagram, for example, before this production would hire them. Wow. So there's a lot of uh, inappropriate things on there. Wow. Okay. Um, Now, going back to the room for a second, a statement that we often hear from actors or honestly more of a complaint is, I had this amazing audition or the energy at the callback was so incredible and like I didn't book it. It's just crying why. Can you give us an unfiltered version of the casting process and the voices, the opinions that are involved um, after we walk out of even sometimes the best experience in the room? Uh, Sure, I'll do my best. Um, There are thousands of reasons why an actor won't get any one specific part that are, these reasons are far beyond the actor's control, casting's control. There's so many things, things we probably couldn't even think of when it comes down to legal and whatever. There's, you you gain nothing from leaving thinking that was so great. I did the best job ever, but I didn't get a callback or I didn't book it. What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't mean you did something wrong. It doesn't mean you didn't do your best or maybe it was the best audition you've ever had. And still there's a thousand reasons why you're not getting this part. Mm-hmm. If you want to revisit it mentally to grow, like, okay, did I do something uh, maybe I should do differently next time. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, it's really important to prepare, be professional, do your best you can possibly do, and then leave the room and say, fuck it, and forget about it as much as you can. Even even the, the job you want more than anything, you won't gain anything by stressing about it or mm-hmm. you know thinking about it 24-7. And I know easier said than done, but there's just so many things out of our control. And yeah, the producers think you were amazing and studio and network think you were amazing and everyone agrees you were amazing and you're still not getting that job for other reasons. Yeah. And if you can look at it as book the room, not the job, have that mentality. So you know you did a great job, great. Then the casting director is going to know you did a great job and they're going to call you back in and if producers or writers or whomever have also seen the tape and think you did a good job, great. You can't control the booking. We can't control the booking. So 
harping on it and, and trying to figure out why. Half the time, we don't know why. <laughs> you know, we can't get straight answers or there's 14 people weighing in and there's no consensus, I, you know. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think, honestly, if there's like one thing actors can like get through their head, it's, it's about booking the room, not booking the role because we're trying to have a career, not a job. And, you know, we were just talking about before we started recording, just the audition process as a whole is not the healthiest, maybe to say for actors. It, sure. it is a, it's a real, it's a minefield, if you will. So I appreciate you sharing that. A hundred percent. I just uh, coached an actress the other day who was given a, uh, an audition, online audition for a series regular role for a new show shooting in New York in the fall. She received it. Uh, I don't know. It was like Tuesday night. I'm coaching her Wednesday morning because it's due Wednesday afternoon. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a series lead for a huge network show and you're given less than 24 hours. I'm so sorry casting did that to you. Or so, you know, it, it just so happened that way. Maybe casting didn't do it to them, but yeah. so many situations happen where we're not setting up the best environment for you to succeed. And we know that we're sorry. And sometimes we still need you to do your best. Yeah, well, and I think it's just like you're saying, it may have not been casting, it may have been the writers, it could have been, product like, there are so many things that it could have trickled down last minute. I think we've all experienced those last minute auditions, but sometimes it's like, if you know you've got this amount of time, you'll actually do better. Yes, Because you can't absolutely. be a perfectionist about it. You don't have to overthink everything all the time. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Now you helped cast Shock and Awe. How did that differ from other projects when you're casting actors as real people from recent history and headlines? Shock and Awe was so intense and probably one of my prouder moments of my career because I was a casting director with Jane Jenkins, who's legendary, and Rob Reiner directing. I mean, for me, that moment in itself will always be burned into my mind. Yes. Uh, but Casting real people is is really difficult because if you don't really get it right, you're just going to get hated for people are going to complain. They're not going to like it. And if you do a great job, you often hear nothing. <laughs> it's not like, oh my God, the fact that you cast this real person. Yeah. But it's easier in a way also because you're so limited. You can't just open the floodgates. You have to match the person physically and, and get their spirit. So it's easier in a way because you can be more specific, but there are just going to be less options. Yeah, uh, I've cast a few projects where we're casting real people. Mm -hmm. um, and thankfully, uh, there are some projects like I also did LBJ for Rob Reiner. Mm -hmm. All of those characters are very well-known sure. political figures. And so the actors coming in for those roles were from that time period and they know who these people are. They're not obscure, yeah. random people. Do you find that the casting process for those, and they're, all, they're both political ties, do you, do you feel that there's more of like a list making process or you're reaching out to agents and managers you trust and saying like, this is the energy and like, this is the person we're trying to capture or do you just go back to the breakdowns and do it that way? I, we, everything, uh, you know, and I can't speak for all casting directors, but, you know, Jane and I, uh, we did it all. Um, I think there'll be shorter lists uh -huh. for real people. It's just, yeah. you know, 
not Brad Pitt can't play every real person ever. So we, the list will be smaller uh, and more specific. Um, but yeah, I'll, and a lot of those will come from agent pitches because they know their clients and they know that their client could be this person. Um, I, I cast uh, an actor to play Cesar Chavez for We Bought a Zoo for Cam and Grow. It was years ago, and there were very few options. And I was just lucky on, on the session that I had set up for Cameron Crow. I had nine actors. That is all that I had. And Roberto Montesinos just came in as Cesar Chavez and blew it out of the water. And he was cast. And again, when it happens, it happens. When you know you got it. Yeah. Great. I, I, I love that movie we bought a zoo like just just the wholesomeness and that was one thing that I was like just reminded of when going back over your IMDb just the amount of genres that you have worked in like you've worked with Lisa Beach on Where the Millers and it's there there's political and there's comedy and there's like really wholesome family and then there's Marvel like series and it's <laughs> it's wild do you have a favorite genre or medium that you've worked in no, I mean, job's a job. No, I mean, I love. I don't know. It's hard to say because I love casting comedies. Mm -hmm. So much fun. Uh, but you know, who doesn't love a really good gritty drama that really makes you feel? Uh, yeah. So no, I don't think I have a favorite genre. I think that I like and appreciate that I've been able to jump around so much into so many offices and, and, and film and TV and digital. And it's, it's really been, I really feel blessed in that regard. Yeah. Now I would love to talk about America 2.0, your hit scripted podcast. Can you share how you got involved yes. and what the casting process was like for a scripted podcast? Sure. Um, JS Mayank, who is the creator, writer, director of America 2.0, I had known for years and had worked with him on other projects. Mm -hmm. So he sent me this script. It was originally a pilot script. Okay. And I read it and of course it's amazing. And we thought, let's have a table read. I said, let's have a table read. I want you to hear your words. So let's just get this pilot table read going. Uh, and we, I, I called friends, Spencer Garrett, Shanola Hampton, um, was Nick Gonzalez, I believe. I forget who came to the table read. Okay. We just called friends for the table read. And mm -hmm. at the table read, light bulbs are going off. It was just so phenomenal. And from that was the idea of turning the pilot script into a six episode podcast. You knew that it had to happen there at the table read. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of the actors at the table read, we cast in their roles for the actual podcast. And then there were some that we knew going forward that this we had to change for whatever reason. Um, there were no auditions. It was just us calling our people, our friends, and between JS and Spencer Garrett, who was one of our leads and uh, turned into a producer on the project because he, he worked so hard and Spencer knows everybody in Hollywood. So we were able to get to a lot of people for this very low paying podcast. And uh, it was just literally calling actors that we knew uh, or agents that we knew to get to this person. Mm -hmm. And the script speaks for itself and the actors 
loved the script and wanted to be part of it. I think Patrick Adams and maybe it was Autumn Reeser who was in that. Uh, I think they were the only two that worked more than one day in the recording studio. Everybody else came in for a couple hours and we banged that out. You worked on the Freeform series Cloak and Dagger. Do you have any advice for actors going in for Marvel or those heightened reality projects? Where to place their focus in the audition material? How to trust that you guys know that there's a lot going on yeah. and that like if you're imagining it, it translates? Any of that advice? Yeah, that's that? good. It's a good question. Um, I cast Cloak and Dagger with Corbin Bronson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, we approached it like it's an audition for anything. So we know that some of the characters have superpowers and, and things happen. Thankfully, we didn't have anybody that was flying and, you know, running through walls. It was a very grounded superhero show. Yeah. Uh, but we don't have to focus on the powers in the audition. That's up to the director and, and the crew and everyone is on set. That's when that will happen. We needed we need to feel the moments and the acting. It was a gritty drama that felt very real in all of its problems that the superheroes were having. Uh, It's not like, oh my God, I don't know how to fly anymore. This was real, you know, homeless or dealing with race or drugs. And so we were easily able to connect to those moments. And I think it's important in any audition, you have to find what you're connecting with and show that and don't worry that the script says you're crossing the street or that you're jumping. We know that when you get to set, you can walk across the street and you can jump and the director will figure that out, but just act, be, be in these moments with us and that's all we need to see. Amazing, thank you. Unless you can fly, then fly in on an audition, great. Yeah, yeah just fly right up. <laughs> now you've helped cast Fist Fight, We're the Millers, Think Like a Man, which we were talking about. How have you seen actors make comedy, like those kind of like amazing classic comedies, their own while still respecting the text? Because I feel like that's a very fine line. Yeah, good question. I think actors seem to have more leeway in the words in comedy, uh, but it depends on the project. Uh You know, you can't take too much leeway with the words. You shouldn't be rewriting the jokes and trying to add your own Uh character into it. but what really, for me, one of my favorite things about casting comedy is seeing mistakes. When actors make a mistake in an audition or flub a line or say the wrong word or do whatever that they were not really supposed to do, it's so funny when they can keep going. If, if it's such a big thing that they have to stop and can we start over? Okay, mm-hmm. sure. But in comedy when you can use that mistake and keep going and just incorporate that into the moment or the character man that is so funny and i love to see the humanity it's Mm -hmm. the most real moment for me that i will see with actors in an audition because they were themselves for a split second they stayed in character but i saw this humanity and what they were able to do with the moment Plus, then you know that an actor can go to set and they can make mistakes and they can keep going and it's not going to cost time and money for the production. I love that. And that's, for me, what stands out in comedy is when the actors just do it and right or wrong or whatever it is, and they just rolled right through it and it was awesome. Oh, that's right. I love that. Now, I want to talk about your IGTV original series, Quarantine, and how the idea came about, um, successes and struggles making the first production of its kind. (laughs) 
And then I also want to note and, and just like applaud you, 100% of the proceeds were donated to the SAG after a foundation COVID disaster relief fund. So thank you as an active union member. That's incredible because there were not enough funds to go around uh, when we actually all needed them. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, first of all, you're welcome. And it was absolutely our pleasure. Uh, we partnered with the SAG After Foundation. So it was really spectacular yeah. because when we first started, uh, Courtney B. Vance, who's the president of the foundation, said we were the only active production in Hollywood at that time. So it was extra special, but we really had their full support, uh, which really helped us in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, the idea is all Jerry Ying. He is the creator uh, head writer and director. Uh -huh. He thought of it all and uh, he actually brought Spencer on first. Okay. Uh, they had known each other for years. I think they shot Hawaii Five O together and so they stayed in touch. And Spencer Garrett is my producing partner. Uh -huh. So once Spencer was brought on, he called me and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. I know we just got quarantined, but it's really great. You should, you should check it out. There's no script. It's all kind of improv. Uh, we just need a few actors. That's how it started. Just need a few actors. Mm -hmm. We quickly turned into, well, actually, we need a lot of actors, and let's produce this together with Jerry. Mm -hmm. And it spun from this, it's going to be this little YouTube show, and hopefully we would raise some money. It turned into a huge IGTV series of 25 episodes all shot on zoom everyone was home nobody met each other in person nobody left their house to shoot this they were literally all home being safe we had tech guys doing camera and sound on zoom it, it was mind-blowing to me seeing this unfold on zoom with actors that we hadn't met that hadn't met each other yeah. and yet we have this huge intense story and it felt like we had known each other for years as if we were on an actual set in a series and well we're in season four so we got this yeah uh, but it was it was really spectacular because we didn't know what we were doing it, mm -hmm. no one had done a series on zoom like this so we just kind of like i said the actors make mistakes well we were making mistakes and and going with it and having to figure it out and we had days we were airing at first it was five episodes a week and we pulled it back to three episodes a week, but we didn't have an option to not get the episode up by four o'clock on a Wednesday. It had to happen. So yeah. we just had to go with it and we learned so much and it went so quickly. And for me, it was a great way to use my quarantine time. I think I had two weeks of downtime and then this started and it was full time. It was like filming a series on set and to look back on quarantine and know that I was able to do this and raise money for the foundation was, was everything. Amazing. Now, how did you all do, or, or maybe you didn't, but chemistry reads with the actors virtually or rehearsal periods to get that ease with each other? Sure. So we had no auditions. Again, this was a project that we called in our friends for because okay we didn't know how long we would need them, right? Was quarantine gonna be two weeks, two months, six months? So we needed actors who would be game to work for free yeah. for as long as quarantine was in effect. Uh, so again, Spencer and Jerry and I calling our friends, all of the celebrity guest stars are all people we know, uh, no auditions, no chemistry reads, just giving people parts, 
uh, but we did have rehearsals. Okay. It was all guided improv. Uh, so the, the writers wrote beats, kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm, okay. which we gave to the actors the day before. Uh, they sussed it out. And then we, you know, our shooting days are Fridays and Saturdays. So we would get on with the actors in the scene and we would rehearse a few times and then shoot it. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome really being able to watch their process and watch them work. Who knows what will be the future of filming and entertainment, but that's so cool to have been a part of truly one of the first of those experiences and how that you may be an example for future production. Were they like, Hopefully, as an example, yeah, like was. you guys were able to do this, so can we kind of a thing. Well, thank you. I mean, for, for us, it was one of the reasons why we did it so quickly. Mm -hmm. We could have sussed it out more. We could have spent a month more in pre-production, but we wanted to be the first. We wanted just to do it. Yeah. Uh, and we did, and it was, it was just great. Just for sake of conversation, what's one thing you wish actors understood better about casting? Uh, that it's not us. It's not our decision, usually. You know, we, we don't make the final decision. We don't write the roles, and therefore the breakdown is not something that we created, uh, yeah. whether it's, you know, a specific ethnicity versus all ethnicity or whatever it is. We're not in charge. We can give advice to our producers or the studios, and sometimes we can fight tooth and nail for it but it's not our decision uh, you know we will open the door for you and then other people have to make that decision yeah. and we're always on the side of the actor awesome all right last question we ask everyone on the podcast what is one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self go back and tell my younger self uh well i, I was going to say you don't want to be an actor but then if I never went to school to be an actor, I wouldn't be a casting director. So it wouldn't be that. Um, maybe to do it earlier. Because I, tr I, I was making this big transition from teaching into casting in my 30s. Uh, and so first starting in a new career in your 30s is, is a little rough and you're behind so many other people. Uh, so I think make that decision earlier or but I don't know how you do that right it just fell into my lap so yeah. what can I do so and you've also you've been doing okay like you've been yeah. doing <laughs> really really <laughs> well like the offices you've been a part of and the projects that you've brought to life they kind of landed where you were supposed to and I think that's something that I've learned from everyone that I've talked to on the podcast is like as anxious as we are as creatives there's always this element of being proportionately dissatisfied but when you take a, a second <laughs> to be like hindsight is 20 when you're like yeah, I'm not dissatisfied. I'm happy with my life. I'm happy where I am. And, yeah. you know, aside from COVID, uh, we'll get back to work soon and it's going to be great. Yes. Jeremy, thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast. It was a lovely chat. Pleasure. With you. Nice chatting to you. Nice meeting you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. And to my guest today, Jeremy Gordon. Jeremy encourages actors to network and stay in touch via social media. You can find him at Jeremy Gordon. Thanks so much for listening and following along. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and this is What's My Frame.